He said, I'm fortunate to be here. If it wasn't for the Lord's mercy, I'd be six feet under. They were words from a man who'd been really sick and intensive care. But something dramatic had changed in the life of my friend from when I'd last talked to him. When visiting the hospital, a mutual friend had been prompted to challenge him about what he thought happened after death. Both men knowing that it was a real possibility. That was the right time. Because while he lay there, he'd been pondering the bigger issues of life and was now open to the gospel of salvation. The key was that our mutual friend had a focus on living his life that it might impact others. And he tends to look to the Lord to work in the lives of those around about him. And so, when the Lord prompted him to speak this day, he spoke. And the man who had been looking death in the face responded. We come to a key verse in scripture today, a verse that conveys a key message running through both the book of Daniel and the whole Bible. But unless we're looking for signs of God at work, we'll tend to miss it. In each chapter of Daniel, there's something that we need to grab hold of as we're engaged as God's people in the world around about us. Today, the key message is repeated. We find it in verse 17 and verse 25. And I think it's very significant that it's not Daniel saying this. But it comes from the dream and it's King Nebuchadnezzar who is saying it. That the whole world may understand that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. In other words, God is the one who guides. God is the one who opens hearts and who shapes and determines what happens in events in this world. So do we trust him? In Daniel chapter 1, God's sovereignty is seen in a way that God gave wisdom and courage to faithful young men who had been carted off to Babylon. In chapter 2, the young men looked to God to tell them what to um, tell King Nebuchadnezzar that his dream was and about its interpretation when he threatened to kill them along with wise men who couldn't answer the king. In chapter 3, three of the young men refused to bow to the idol and were thrown by the king who was angry at their refusal into a fiery furnace. It was so hot those throwing them in died while God's men simply walked around and God sent an angel to be with them. This utterly shocked the king who again pronounced his acknowledgement of God. But as we see time and again, these pronouncements were emotional. But the reality of God's power had not transformed his worldview. A bit like people in Australia who see starving children or another desperate need contribute a gift of cash, but then are no further involved. It's the same, really, because so far we've not seen the transformation of the king more than speaking some words. In this chapter, though, we see an astonishing change. 
a change that was possible because Daniel has been living so God could use him. So he was welcome in the king's presence and the king knew he was different from a king who had been arrogantly challenging God. We see a complete turnaround. This chapter is written in the form of a royal encyclical or a letter and contains the identification of the writer, of those he's addressing, and a greeting. This gives it a strong feeling of reality and authority and the sense that what it, was, what it contained was of real significance to its author, who we are told was the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, who goes on to tell the conclusion before the beginning, a story that's so significant to Nebuchadnezzar, he wants the world to know. He writes to praise the God of a nation whose God, by implication from his worldview, he had defeated. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Who would have expected the despotic king to be saying this and honouring the Lord Almighty? A king opposed to God each time we see him until now, when he is worshipping Jehovah or Yahweh, who we know as God. We see a new and strange humility here. We detect a sense of reverent worship in the man's words. Nebuchadnezzar saying, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. They are the words of a former brutal heathen king who is now worshipping the Lord of the universe and doing so with enthusiasm. Some say these words or these exclamations by the king were penned by Daniel at the request of Nebuchadnezzar because he wouldn't record such words in the annals of Babylon. But whoever wrote them indicate, humanly speaking, an incredible turnaround in the belief and the focus of the king. God has given a revelation of himself. He's shown signs and wonders. And as one commentator, Sinclair Ferguson, says, like every sign or wonder in scripture, these have been revelations of his divine power. Clues God gives to a chaotic world that he is the one who rules over all things and he will establish his kingdom. God had confronted Nebuchadnezzar when he least expected it. He was at rest. He was flourishing in the garden in the golden years of his reign, seemingly not a care in the world, having, been, sorry, having brought peace to the vast empire that he ruled. He was, as he understood, the master of all he surveyed, but God gave him a very disturbing dream. In the dream, Nebuchadnezzar faced real helplessness and insecurity. He was scared. 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in my bed. The images and the visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Nebuchadnezzar was like many people. They've heard the truth, but taken no notice of it, and do not until they're seriously confronted. He knew of Daniel and his friends, and he was begrudgingly respectful of them. But he was ill at ease with their religious focus on a God who he had seen to be all too powerful to be comfortable with. So he sought counsel elsewhere. It's quite possible that he had a shrewd idea of the meaning of the dream and hoped against hope it wasn't true. For this reason, he didn't send for the person who he knew in his heart would tell him what he didn't want to hear. I read that in Babylonian literature, it was quite common to represent a king as a tree. Nebuchadnezzar knew in his dream that the tree was himself and the animals and the birds were the citizens living under his authority. He knew the tree chopped down applied to himself and he did not want to face such humiliation. He knew it was God who would do it. Because in verse 13, it tells us he saw a messenger coming down from heaven. And in verse 17, it says, the Holy One declares the verdict. So he knew it was God communicating with him. And in his unconverted state, it was a truth he could not face and did not want to hear. But yet again, those he relied on failed him. It appears that Nebuchadnezzar could trust Daniel implicitly to tell the truth and that Daniel was full of the spirit of the holy God. He knew Daniel was different to himself because he said, no secret troubles you. And why? He had seen in Daniel's words and actions that his trust was in the Lord. So why did Nebuchadnezzar refer to Daniel as the chief of the magicians? Was he afraid of Daniel? Was he suppressing the voice of his own conscience? Was he acknowledging that often he was the only one capable of providing the answers? Or was he finally recognising that heaven rules and this message was from heavenly authorities, the same source that Daniel's understanding came from? Like so many people today, Nebuchadnezzar interpreted the events in his life in purely human terms. He petitioned Daniel, but he had not learned to petition God. He had not learned or even tried to pray to God. He told Daniel a dream. He saw a tree grow to be huge. It sheltered it and provided sustenance for many, and yet it was cut down its base bound, and the voice of a messenger said, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Scary stuff. He was alarmed and really desperate to know the answer 
That is why he finally called in Daniel, who was not just a trained wise man, but Daniel was one of his key leaders, like a prime minister. Did his esteemed wise men really not understand the dream? Or was it so confronting that they were too afraid to tell him and he unwilling to consider the shattering consequences? When my friends in Papua New Guinea who believe in dreams have a dream, they see it as a message they need to know. Sometimes they understand. Other times it's not clear and they look for an answer. In my experience, it might have just happened or it might have been some time back. There's a meaning and they're looking for the answer. And it can be dreams about all sorts of things. Clearly, the tree represented someone. For the watcher said that its heart would be changed from that of a man into the heart of an animal. A superhuman empire would be reduced to subhuman proportions. His power was clearly subservient to whatever power appeared, whatever this power appeared to be. He had to know. Was he remembering a dream with the image that had a golden head that had been destroyed and pulverised into dust and blown away? No. Surely this couldn't be the end of the head of gold because Nebuchadnezzar had been the head of gold. Verse 19 tells us then Daniel also called Belteshazzar was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. Daniel's response to Nebuchadnezzar was not instantaneous. Perhaps he reflected on it for 10 minutes or maybe longer and then the king realising his hesitancy and desperate for the truth, encouraged to tell him what was happening. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. How keen would you have been to tell the king what you knew was happening? Would you, or would you try and fudge? So the king said to Belteshazzar, Do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. A man died in the village. Late one day after burying her husband, his wife had an unsettling vision. The son of the man appeared at our door. Douglas, can you interpret visions? I told him that I'd not had a vision before, but if others were meeting about it, they were welcome to meet in our house, and I'd be willing to be there among them. We met. I learned how they interpreted visions, and the answer wasn't good. And when our eldest son was called in, they too hedged, reticent to give him the answer. But the son said, we want the answer, whatever it is. Someone replied that his father had died but was not a Christian so they would not put a cross on his grave. The son thanked the group. The family accepted it. And for me it was an amazing time of learning about the spiritual battle that was raging in that village. In a similar way, Daniel, a humble servant, is in a tight spot 
as we all would be if we were in his shoes, recognising the horror of the message. Nobody likes to give bad news, Daniel included, but Nebuchadnezzar is looking for the truth. Daniel is clearly worried. He was God's servant as well as the king's servant, and so again he replied graciously and truthfully. He expressed that he wished the dream applied to the king's enemies and not to him. Nevertheless, he delivered God's message. So after interpreting the dream, Daniel did what we all need to do. He confronted the king and pleaded that the king have a change of heart and life. Daniel was completely faithful to his God and at the same time to his king. Faithfulness compelled him to speak the truth. God appears to have given Nebuchadnezzar a rare opportunity to repent of his hardness of heart and to make amends for his life of arrogant empire building, like a sower continuing to sow seed in the hope that some of it will take root. Nebuchadnezzar, though, had grown accustomed to the hammering of the word of God, ignoring it so often that it had rendered his conscience increasingly immune to its impact on his life. However, he appears to have listened to Daniel's words this time. He was careful for a time, but like people who want to change, who have not asked the Lord to do a supernatural work in them to enable it, they eventually revert to their old type, despite their best efforts. Nobody can permanently change without God working in them to transform them. And in this case, Nebuchadnezzar, after a year of consciously avoiding his grandeur, forgot his place in God's universe, and he was instantly humbled. He could not permanently change in his own strength, He needed God to refocus his allegiance. Think of it. One minute, a king, a powerful man. The next, the king is insane. Driven from his palace into the fields in the way they evidently treated deranged beings, out with the animals and unable to take care of himself. God as sower had changed to God the potter and crushed the old to begin and reform a new object out of it. One commentator, Ronald Wallace, says that we are to understand that Nebuchadnezzar faced seven years of dreadful inward solitary confinement and that his whole personality was tragically deformed until at the end of the appointed time he raised his eyes towards heaven and his sanity was restored. Daniel and his friends had lived faithfully. God had acted supernaturally through and with these young men. But it took God dramatically confronting Nebuchadnezzar and implanting his spirit in the depraved being in the fields for him to recognise who he was and to acknowledge God. From there, he was set free and praised the God of heaven and at last recognised God's power and that the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of the God of heaven is the one that will last beyond all others. 
And so he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. At last, finally, God's patient working in this life had borne fruit. Let me ask, has God's message borne fruit in your life or are you still ignoring him? It's not a wise move if God is prompting you about some issues to ignore, ignore him because he wants our best and he has a worthwhile purpose for each one of us when we have surrendered to him. If not, if we refuse to surrender, the end will come, perhaps suddenly, and we will not have found real satisfaction in our life, but we will face an eternity of lostness, regretting our refusal to trust God and giving him the chance to enable us to live a worthwhile life, both now and into eternity. So too, if you are someone who has chosen to live for God, let us remember that we are impotent to bring about change in the lives of our friends or people we know or love with our wisdom or persuasion, but we need to rely on God's power to make a difference. As he said to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And in Zechariah, it is God who makes the difference. Our job is to reflect the light of God's glory so that people living in our own dark age might see the light and be drawn to its true source. Amen. Let us pray. Our loving Father, once again we see your power and we delight in it that you could take someone so opposed to you as King Nebuchadnezzar was and transform him into a king who is worshipping you and seemed to truly want good things for his people. Father, your word tells us that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And so we know the truth of what we have looked at this morning is applicable today. And we ask that you would give us courage like Daniel. That you would draw us to yourself. That you would help us to walk with you so that we can be a part of what you are doing in this world. And live our lives so that others might come to know you and live our lives in a way that brings glory to you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.